Today, I am doing something yes, I... different, and I'm having a conversation with Mr. D, um, who I, I met uh, a few years ago, but um, met properly um, towards the end of last year, which was 2022. We both attended an event and uh, managed to have a conversation, and I was then... Um, I came up with the idea of having this conversation because Mr. D, as far as I understand, has got way more experience uh, when it comes to addiction and alcoholism um, and other mental health related um, issues, lifestyle issues, and um, will probably speak to us regarding how to live a happy and healthy life. So, um, welcome, Mr. D. It is good to have you today. Um, may you please introduce yourself. Over to you. <laughs> yeah, everybody generally calls me Mr. D, but uh, my full name is Diliza Pumalo. And uh, I'm an addict, an alcoholic, and uh, I've been in recovery for past 25 years. Uh, I work at recovery centers, so I help addicts to find the path that I found. I also uh, help in personal development. And my biggest interest is in perception and emotions. Um, the goal being to find the holy grail, that serenity that we're all looking for. Yeah, I think that's a little bit about Wonderful. So we have arrived to 2023, and um, I am grateful that I, I, I went into this year um, sober, um, and I was able to wake up in the morning, do what I need to do in the morning, um, and be prepare myself um, for this day. So... Is it possible for you to share with me how you entered, how you found yourself doing what it is that you're doing and um, what it is that you're doing at, at the moment currently? And if you can also touch on how it is that you stay sober and serene and free and at, at, at peace most of the time. Okay, do we have uh, a week? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll be talking. If I'm, I'm going to answer all those questions, I'll be talking for the whole week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but the essence of it is that I, the start is I, I grew up in a um, comfortable home. My parents were both teachers, and so things were supposed to be easy. Supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Externally, I think we wanted for nothing, but internally, it was a totally different story for me. 
Um, I grew up not liking myself very much. In fact, the one thing that I knew when I started growing up or came to realize who I am was that I was very fearful. I was terrified. I was afraid of basically everything. And, uh, and that was the constant in my life. And, uh, but I also didn't like myself. You know, I didn't like my nose, as you can see. It's quite big. <laughs> Real African nose. <laughs> my dad. Um, and so I thought I was ugly uh, because I've got a big nose. I, I didn't like my height. Um, I sort of was like, fuck. You know, I didn't like my uh, my body. I was kind of chubby. I wasn't fat, but, but you know, kind of chubby. And I was slow, you know, we, when, when we had to do races and all those things, I was always slow. And, and uh, even when I grew up, I never gained any speed. I'm still slow. <laughs> and I didn't like that about myself because I believe that if you are right, then you're supposed to be number one at everything, you know. And also at, at, at school, I was in the debating team. And I was very good. I was I was the last speaker of our team, and uh, and yet I couldn't argue. If it was a one-on-one -on -one competition, I couldn't argue because my mind would then support the opponent, and definitely I would lose. I hated that about me, and uh, I also hated the fact that I I was not always number one in everything. I was always in the top five, top ten bracket. Maybe I've been in the top ten bracket once or twice. But generally, I was in the top five. But but my understanding was that if you are right, then you must be number one at everything all the time. And so I wasn't good enough. I never believed that I was good enough. So I never really loved myself, basically all my life until I got into recovery, where they taught me how to love myself. And so not loving myself is a very big discomfort. It, it makes makes life very difficult. And so I was looking for solutions. At the age of 17, I found the elixir. I took my first drink. And I don't remember much of what happened, but, you know. But I knew when I woke up the following day, I was feeling crappy and all that, that I wouldn't stop. Just to learn how to do it right. And in the fellowship, they say, I looked at what alcohol did for me and I ignored what alcohol did to me. Because at that moment, that very first time, alcohol made me tall. Alcohol made my nose sharp and tiny. Alcohol made me pretty. <laughs> alcohol made me weak. Alcohol made me fast. Everything that I wanted to be at that moment because I didn't have these feelings of dread, sadness, and pain, and fear. Alcohol took away what I could not remove from me. And it became the final solution. And for the next 20 years, I drank alcohol. And the alcohol, the drinking progressed, but worse and worse and worse. Mm. 
And uh, to cut the story short at the end, uh, I wanted to kill myself. Mm. I tried everything that I could think of. You know, I tried reducing the amount of drinking. I tried uh, drinking something different, moving from one brand to another brand, moving from one type of alcohol to another. I changed the people, I changed the places, I changed everything. It just didn't work. I even changed my eating pattern. How do you like it? <laughs> <laughs> I became vegetarian for a year and two months, 14 months, yes. Somehow it didn't work, and I didn't understand why. I read. I used to buy books and read like a madman. You know, I read and read and read. And I remember looking at a law book at one time and saying, there must be an answer somewhere here. And I didn't get it. Got to Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I got yes. to a point where I felt I just couldn't take it anymore. I needed to switch the pain off. And the only solution in my mind could see was I needed to switch my life. So life was a problem and death became a solution and i actually did try to kill myself three times didn't do a good job of it. See? that's why i'm here right now <laughs> <laughs> all right so let me let me let me just add to that um i i just want us to have a look at um that part you know just just pause a little bit and let's have a look at what happened um, before we start drinking? And, 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 and you mentioned that you looked at um, how alcohol, um, what alcohol did for you and not what it, it did to you. I'd like to get yeah. into that a little bit more um, because we live in a society that says to us, um, uh, specifically, I can only talk for myself as a black South African woman. And we live in a society that says to us, you are not going to be able to have fun without alcohol. You cannot go to a gathering without alcohol. You cannot have a wedding a funeral, you cannot have any kind of event, any kind of function, any type of fun um, without the involvement of alcohol. So this kind of understanding and this kind of um, way of living has been taught to us since we were very young. So with me as an example, I started drinking when I was 15 years old and it was normal um, for me, it was normal for that to be the go-to place as soon as I became a teenager because it was a norm in our society. Do you want to elaborate um, as a Black South African man on the environment and the society that we grew up in that leads us to thinking that there is no life without alcohol or drugs or mind-altering uh, substances. Yeah, that, that's a quite quite an interesting um, direction to look at, and, and I'll look at it from my my perspective. Yes, I grew in an environment where there was alcohol all the time, 
But what was amazing is that I grew up believing that alcohol wasn't. I had an uncle that I used to look uh, at. And I would look at the shape of my body and I'd say, it looks more like my younger brother. Which means that I'm not going to drink like he does. And my body looks more like my dad's body. And I say, I'm going to drink more like my dad. Because my dad had control over his drinking. And the moment they said he was not well, he stopped. He just stopped drinking. He stopped smoking. Just like that. And I, I used to then tell myself, I'm like my dad. But initially, you know, I looked at alcohol as something that is not good. And I promised myself I wouldn't smoke and I wouldn't. And as I told you, I used to read a lot. And so I read a lot about the effects of alcohol and the effects of cigarettes and drugs. And so I really believed that it was not necessary for me to drink, use, or smoke. I was very clear about that. And I used to call myself the counselor against, uh, against doing wrong things. So I used to speak to other teenagers about this. I never drank until I was 17 years old, you know. And uh, what happened was <clears throat> during that time when I was not drinking, I was also not feeling good. And that's the biggest problem, okay. And like I explained, I didn't love myself. I didn't like myself. And so... Uh, even anything that I did didn't look like it was any form of achievement. I couldn't receive any praise from other people. You know, when people say, wow, you've done so well, uh, in my head I'd be saying, mm, if only you knew. Mm. You know? I couldn't accept any validation mm. because I thought other people saw me as I saw myself. Mm. Good low life, you know, uh, poor morals. And yet uh, there wasn't any crazy things I was doing out there. It was all in my head. And, and so, yeah, I, I really grew up, up to the point I picked up the first drink, I didn't want it. I didn't want to smoke. But the pressure of the discomfort of not liking myself, in fact, you know, in, in the fellowship, they put it nicely. That discomfort of self-loathing was unbearable. And I needed something to soothe myself. And when I took alcohol the first time, it did for me what I could not do for myself. You know, alcohol soothed. And from that moment, I was convinced that as long as I take alcohol, I have peace. I like myself a little bit more. I didn't see it that way. I, I couldn't explain it that way, but on hindsight, I see that's exactly the conclusion that I've come to, that uh, with alcohol, I have found the solution to all problems of life. That's, that's um, a really interesting point that you've raised there. Because when I when I when I listen, 
um, to a lot of stories that get told by people who who suffer um, from this disease of alcoholism and addiction. It is a common um, theme, uh, literally, that we have got this discomfort. We have got this unease uh, with our place in the world, our place in the family, or a place with um, our peers. And um, when we discover alcohol, it, it just makes everything um, right. Now, yeah. what I would like to get into is now you have discovered alcohol, you start drinking, you you start drinking by um, doing it not so regularly, perhaps once or twice a year, perhaps over the weekend, perhaps on special occasions. But there is a process that takes place um, as we are um, using alcohol as a sort of um, sedative or a sort of um, a tool that alters our characteristics, that helps us accomplish what it is that we think we are accomplishing while we are drinking. May we speak about what happens when that line is crossed from drinking occasionally to heavy drinking and to finding um, yourself in a place where you realize that you are not doing it um, normally. And, and, and it is something that I read that they call uh, that invisible line. Do you, are you able to share with us? Are you aware when you cross that invisible line? Are you able to share that with us and, 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 and sort of explain um, what the impact was and what sort of levels uh, we were looking at there? It's interesting for me because I believe I'm on the other side of the invisible line. <laughs> there is really no time when I crossed the invisible line. Mm-hmm. Because when I picked up the first drink on that very first day, I had my first blackout. Mm. That's the first thing. You know, I had my first blackout the first time I drank. The second thing that's for me is, is quite, quite instructive is the fact that I, when I started drinking the very first time, I couldn't stop. You know, some people start, they have fun with booze and all that. The moment I drank, I drank alcoholically, I couldn't stop. So the physical allergy kicked in the first time I picked it up, I drank. You know? and, uh, and the progression was very fast. In my case, you are talking once and occasions and what? No, <laughs> moment I started drinking, I started drinking. You know, I, I first when I got home because I started drinking. I was at my grandmother's place in Zululand, mm-hmm. and when I got home, I made sure that my parents get to know I drink and I smoke. I didn't hide my cigarettes, and I didn't hide the fact that I was drinking. Right from the beginning, it was such a solution for me that I, 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 I embraced it as part of my life. Right from the beginning, I was still a 
as form four. That's grade uh, eleven. And, and that's basically how I did it. Just like that. I didn't hide it. I just put it out there that they know I drink and I smoke. And that's it. And uh, and I was very rebellious at the time. I was a very it, it sort of like shifted my character because before then I was this quiet guy. Um I would play around and I could talk, I could be funny, but but the moment I started drinking, I just became very rebellious. You know. And yeah, and then it progressed. Uh, uh, when I went to you, in fact, I even had a lot of problems with drinking right at high school. I had been kicked out from one high school to another one in Transvaal at the time, Bumalanga now. I ended up getting into a lot of trouble. By the end of the year, I was no longer allowed to go to functions of the school. Uh, because I, I I was caught drinking during one of the functions, and I was the chairperson of that function. <laughs> <laughs> I was directing it basically. <laughs> <laughs> and interesting, I had not even taken a sip. <laughs> and I think that that <laughs> it exacerbated things because I had moved from the stage. I was you know, the program director. And so I called an item and the friend said, no, we've hidden the stuff such and such a place. So I ran to that place. And as I picked up the bottle of wine, we had a big bottle of wine. <laughs> as I picked it up, the teacher said, you're drinking. I put it down. <laughs> I said, no. I was <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I was taken to the office and, and, and eventually I was given 10 lashes on my back Ooh. and the backside. And, uh, and I remember distinctly as I was walking from the office and I said, damn, I got so much punishment because they beat me. And then and then I was excluded from all functions. Mm. And then the one. Then they said, well, you are writing your dad a letter to tell him that you are a problem.